Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to show number 334 from Engage for Success. Today, we're going to be talking about unleashing the potential of human-centered engagement. And to help us explore that topic, I'm very pleased to welcome this week's guest, who is Josh Schneider. Uh, Josh is an author. He is author of a book called Five Days to Your Best Work Yet, which is all around the topic of human-centered engagement. Uh, So welcome to the show, Josh. Joe, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, um, first of all, before we get into the topic in any in any detail, I wonder if you could just share with our listeners a little bit of a an overview of you and your your professional background and uh, and where you you know what you've done and where you've come from. Well, uh, I I once heard a speaker say, if you want to do something, you don't have to be the best. You just have to be the last one to quit. And, uh, and that kind of inspired me, um, you know, out of school, I, I started off, you know, in the States, we call it CPA, certified public accounting, I think yep. over, over across the water, chartered, uh, chartered accountants, chartered and accountancy, yes. hated my job. Day one, right. absolutely hated it and uh-huh. stayed for a couple of years, read about a hundred books during that time. And started to discover some truths about life, about work, or at least what I thought was truths at that age. And mm-hmm. so kind of headed in this direction, began in the coaching space, working one-on-one, and eventually wrote my first book and, and really continued to pivot, got more obsessed with research around employee engagement and culture. And now for, gosh, I think it's coming up on seven, eight years, I've been in this space of, of mm-hmm. truly trying to find out what... I mean, you know, in the, in the intro to the show, a, a better way to work. Like the, yes. at, at the CPA firm, I would ask, you know, individuals that were four, five, six years ahead of me, how are, how are things going? And they'd mm-hmm. say, oh, Josh, you know, I'm living the dream. And mm-hmm. I, I started mm-hmm. to realize that living the dream was code for this sucks. And so <laughs> I really, <laughs> that's, that's the short of it. You know, it took five years to get a four-year college degree and something that I absolutely hated. But it, mm. it, it sparked me to truly, you know, work is stressful. Um, mm. And that's, o- that's okay to a degree, but we need to get something back from it in mm-hmm. return. And mm. so we just tried to really push into the research around what inspires, you know, what motivates, but what truly allows us to put out our best work. Okay. So do you think, Josh, um, was, it the, was it the practice of, accountancy that that you really hated or was it the particular culture of the organization where you worked that you hated it's a good question um you know there was there was a time uh, out at a client a co-worker and i um were it's just her and i out it was like eight o'clock at night middle of the week and all of a sudden she looks up at me and she goes josh i've got a tingly feeling I'm like, what? And she goes, I've got a tingly feeling because the numbers matched. And my first thought, other than Jen is crazy, is Mm -hmm. I get so angry when the numbers match. Now, basically what Jen was saying was Microsoft Excel gave me a tingly feeling. 
which you right. know, we can we can pray for her later. But okay, there was, <laughs> yeah, there was this part of the work that we did as auditors where you know you're given this ledger of numbers and you do mm-hmm. all this work to, to prove that those are true. And and you got to balance Jen, the figures. Yeah, she got so excited when those numbers matched. And for me, when the number matched, there was one thought in my head. And it was, I did all of this work. It could have been two days, two hours, two weeks, mm-hmm. and nothing changed for me. Nothing grew, nothing got better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're, although I got so blessed to, to end up at a helicopter facility where I had to do an employee labor audit, where I was going around and asking employees, I got to ask a thousand employees questions about their job. And I think in many ways that opened my mind to, holy, there is something out there for me. Um, so, you know, did the culture impact me? Sure. Uh, did mm. the type of work impact me? Sure. But like at my core, I love to create and do something different. And, you know, that work, it, and I guess to take this and expand it into some of the things we talk about in the book, um, you know, there's these different aspects of work that we don't always think about. And one of them that we talk about is this idea of pace. And oftentimes it's very focused, it's very structured, and, you know, you know where you're going to be in three to six months. And for me, that, like, slower, methodical pace of work did not inspire me. It didn't open open me up and allow me to step into uh, my best work. And so we've started to realize that underneath the surface, there are these other triggers. Because a lot of times when you ask somebody, do you love your job or do you hate your job? Or, you know, to your question, mm-hmm. why did I not like that job? The, the answer is like, I don't know, like, I don't get enough money or I don't like my manager or like, oh, this mm-hmm. place is just, you know, it's this place. Yes, yeah. yes. And that doesn't help a human being improve their situation. So we said there has to be um, some language. There has to be some ways for us to understand. And, and for example, one of my friends is a, is a certified sommelier. And so when I'm tasting. Hello. On the back of your palate. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, no, I taste wine and it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he'll be like, no, take another sip. And I want you to focus on the back right of your tongue. I want you to find the green pepper taste. And so then I taste it and I'm like, oh, you're right. I see. Okay. And so these factors that we are studying, researching, developing, talking about, working with people on, it's just building the awareness around, you know, there's other things happening at work. We just need to be able to identify what those are so that way we can move the needle. Mm-hmm. And and Josh, I tell you, so I'm going to ask, in a moment how 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 do you how do you uncover those things i mean is there a is there a set process to understand because obviously what's your best work may not be what my best work is which may not be what your friend's sommelier's best work is and so i was going to going to move on to sort of ask you how do you uncover that but can i just just say for a moment um we slightly lost our connection then for a moment something clicked out um so hopefully that was just a one-off but just just to be aware um okay. I, might, I might ask you to repeat yourself in a, if, if it happens again no so, please do sorry um, but, 
yeah, it's not your fault. We were we were on the green pepper on the back of the tongue. It sounded intriguing to me. So that's <laughs> <what I'm saying. laughs> so. So I was going to ask you. Yeah, I mean, you know, how does one go about that? And, and before before you answer that, though, a little bit of a prelim question to that. Do you think it's useful to do a job that you really find you hate in order to find your best, or was that just the route you took? <laughs> I, you know, so many times there's like this idea, I'm going to find my purpose or I'm going to find what I'm passionate about. And those are big questions. And sometimes trying to get the answers to those big questions is very difficult. Um, or they, you know, I, I love the joke of you ask a 60 year old, you know, what's, uh, or what was their purpose or what did they learn? And they're like, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Mm. We still seem to. I'm I'm having some trouble actually with searching. Having you. Are you hearing me? Okay. I'm hearing you. Okay. Yes. You are. Okay. All right. Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going and see how we go. Hopefully, our listeners are being able to hear you as when it's it's just me. So keep going, Josh. Keep going. We were talking about the sixty-year-old. Sorry. Let's just pick up on the sixty-year-old again. So ultimately, yes, I think having a job that you don't love or that does not engage you can absolutely still serve you in a positive way because sometimes it's easier to identify things that you don't love versus mm. things that you do. And mm. you know, the mindset we have to have is not how can I get through this, but what am I going to get from this? So many of us have negative experiences and and I don't know where the wisdom came from for me at that time, but I said, I am not running from this job until I have something to run to. Mm. And so um, it's so easy to chalk up negative experiences as, uh, as unfortunate or bad luck or just, well, you know, I need this job to help pay the bills, which is, is true. Mm. Um, but we can still learn so much from those experiences. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So t- tell us a tell us a little more then how you how you moved on from that situation to to what you find yourself doing now and what what perhaps some of the some of your key thoughts are around how how we how as we as your as listeners to to this can um, find our best work. Yeah, and I. I mean, I got a little fortunate. I, at that time, I, I met a, a CEO and owner of a company over a cigar and uh, he called me the next day and he said, Hey, I want you to come work for me. And I said, okay, absolutely. And I had known a little bit about his company and he wanted me to, to be a manager to oversee people. And uh, we, we were doing some type of manufacturing work. And right. on my on my first day, the guys come to me and they're like, "Hey, we need we need these five eight screws," and I had no idea what that was. And so I said, "I, I need you to tape it to a piece of paper, and write down how many uh, of it you need and what it is, and then I'll figure out how we need to get it." Um, and right from the beginning, I realized that if I pretended to have this ego around things, that it wasn't going to work. And so. Um, I, I fell in love with being able to take care of people and be able to try and help people and, and help them get what they need. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I will say sometimes my brain hurt for the first week that I worked at this job 
And it, it truly, it, it started to spark in me this whole direction because I realized how I treated somebody impacted how they showed up every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that when I stayed behind, you know, it was a very interesting family run organization that I worked at, like, you know, very, very unique, like very yeah. few people probably had this odd experience that I had, but um, it, it made me want to just hide behind my computer. I was the only manager. I was the only supervisor over these uh, 10, 15 guys out on the shop floor. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about what it is that they were doing. Uh, <laughs> and so I realized I had to walk around and talk to them and see right. how they were feeling. You know, what they do with their girlfriend, where are they trying to go to dinner this weekend, you know, how they yeah. feel and what, and, and that honestly, kind of what happened is I had two friends see this radical shift in my life and they kind of came to me and were like, Hey, we just see that you, how you're living life. Like you are just alive and vibrant. Um, can you help us walk through something like that? And so that kind of is what got me started somewhat in that coaching journey. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it just, I'm like life. And in college, I had worked as a server at a restaurant and absolutely loved it. And so I had a little bit of a taste of, of really enjoying what your work could feel like. Yeah. And so um, now it's, you know, it's not just about happiness. It's not just about, Oh, don't worry about stress. It's not, it's none of those things, but it's truly, there is, there are parts of our work and, you know, in many ways we miss them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with a, an HR group. We're on the like 30 something floor of a building in a, in a major downtown area. <laughs> Come down and, you know, we know we're high up. And so they're now eye level with us. We're on this, whatever, 34th floor of this building, and we are eye level with the window washers, which is a distraction yeah. when, you're, when you're speaking, for sure. Yeah. It's um, pretty terrifying. Story. It dawned on me. <laughs> yeah. And, like, for any one of us, if we were to go do that thing, um, it, would be, it would be an incredible experience. Like, if, if we said, okay, Joe, let's, you know what, let's go wash windows in a high-rise building one time. When we were done, like, we'd be high-fiving and be like, I'm like, I've got first round of drinks. Like, we're going to celebrate this experience because mm-hmm. it, would, it would be so special, um, so crazy. Yeah, I, I would imagine that the men and women that day that were cleaning that building, when they got to the bottom at the end of the day, they, they took off their gear, they, they put it in the back of their vehicle, and, and they headed home like they do every other day. Mm-hmm. And... It's easy for us to see something extreme like this window washer um, go about their job like it's just normal, average. But what they're doing is extraordinary. But to them, it's not because it's what they do every day. And what Mm. we've seen is that there are these parts of our work, um, you know, kind of going back to that that moment when Jen said, I have this tingly feeling. There's Mm. parts of our work that we experience them, but we're so conditioned to move on to the next thing right away that we miss these moments completely. We miss these incredible moments when our body, like, and and so in the research we've done, we found that Jen was actually telling the truth, that her body released a huge spurt of dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin in that moment when those numbers matched. And so Mm -hmm. she literally... And so we've found that those moments happen at work 
yet we are so conditioned to just say, oh, okay, that was cool, or move on to the next thing, and not mm-hmm. and not realize that those moments need to have flags planted in the ground so we can begin to construct our days, our weeks, and our careers around those moments. Okay, so Josh, um, who's responsibility is it inside an organization to create those moments where that where that serotonin and dopamine is 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 released is it is it down to me as a worker as an individual or um am i uh, do i go to work and almost say come on then trigger my endorphins trigger my responsibility where's 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 the responsibility lie I mean, it's a great question. And, and I, I mean, for me, if you're a manager, you're a leader, it's, it's an un, for some people, it's an unfortunate thing. And it's sometimes unfair that you are now the curator of that individual's happiness. And so, you know, if you're a manager, if you're a leader, there's some onus on you. But uh, my book and my beliefs are all rooted in how do I help an individual at any level of any organization take control of their own engagement? Okay. Because, listen, if a, if a CEO says, you know what, I want to do this, I'm going to commit 10 million pounds to this, we're going to bring in consultants, I'm making a commitment to walking this journey out for three years. Beautiful, beautiful. But how many of us work for organizations where we don't have that happening at the highest of levels? And so yeah, can each of us, though find some way and so okay. you know is the I would say onus is always on leadership however if I work for an organization that's not that's not opening the door to that mm-hmm. I, I can't use that for an excuse once I have the knowledge okay. Okay. I need to take some control all right so we've we've got just 12 minutes or so left tell me how do we how do we do that then share some of those pointers for us as to what we can do for sure So I mentioned pace of work earlier. Mm. So we can take Mm. something like pace of work. Um, One of the other aspects are clients um, or or problems. So those are three of the ones that maybe maybe jump out at us. And Mm. so if we take the idea of pace of work, we take the idea of clients, and we take the idea of problems. So by pace of work, the two extremes would be methodical, scheduled out, slow, and then on yep. the other end, you know, maybe what I think of, I don't, we hear it like a real estate agent. You know, they wake up, they're out the door, they're showing homes, they're at lunches, they're networking, they're showing homes, they're writing offers. They mm. get home at nine o'clock at night and they're exhausted. Like it was just mm-hmm. a, a run and gun kind of day. Yeah. When it comes to um, solving problems, there's some people that hate, hate, hate solving problems. A problem pops up, they roll their eyes. And there's other mm. people that, if they don't have a problem to solve and it's been 24 hours, they're starting to freak out. And then never engage, never get an email, never see, like if they never saw a client again, the rest of their life, they'd be so happy. And then there's others of us that it's like, I need client interaction every four hours or else I'm going to freak out. And so in those three ways, those are the extremes. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've started to build an assessment that can help people understand. And you don't necessarily need an assessment. You just need to think about these things. What, where on that scale of one to 10 are you personally? So let's mm-hmm. say you're like me 
and you love being around clients and you love solving problems, which in my work as a consultant and speaker is perfect because yeah. I'm around clients and I'm helping them solve their greatest, biggest problems. Yeah, yeah, now, me too. <laughs> yeah, like it, it engages yeah. us and other people are like, Joe, you're sick. And you're like, I know yeah. I am and I love it. Yeah. But if you, let's say somehow you get put on a project where you don't get FaceTime with the client and all of a sudden you're working on this, this really long rollout. And so you get so removed from the problem and you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I think I hate my job. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like I've been a high performer for six years and I'm just not feeling it. Um, it's because your true motivator, let's say you're a level 10, level 10 on client, level 10 on problems. And now your current role has you rooted in, let's say a level four and a level four. Mm. Well, if your motivator for one of your key drivers of how you show up every day is 10 and 10, and now you're living at a four and a four, you have a gap of a six. And I'm trying to, you know, for time, make this yeah. um, as condensed as understand. The work is already stressful. We're already working on challenges that we don't already know the answer to. And now I've got a huge gap on my natural motivator it's like that's when the system really begins to break down. So you know, we have these eight factors of engagement that are really going on below the surface. And, mm-hmm. you know, that truly is what I believe when we know what our motivator is, then we can take these snapshot assessments of where we are at our work and be like, oh, wow, that's why I'm feeling this way right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And does, so... Do you do that for yourself as an individual or is this something that you you as an organization or through your human um, human engagement institute go in and actually help work with an organization to assess that for their for across a cohort of people? I, I, most directly, it's, it's uh, in terms of the use can be at a one on one level because it's mm-hmm. a matter of identifying where you're at, what your key motivators are and then identifying your current role. And, you know, that's where any leader for their team can, can start to use this terminology and this language. Like my last book uh, only has about, uh, well, it's like 120 pages total, but it's only about 55 pages of content um, because we're all busy, we're all stretched. And so mm-hmm. what, you know, what are some of the most powerful ways that we can think quickly? Um, because it's, we have to make, you know, I sometimes make the joke that when we're feeling a little off base, we don't have time to, to go see Tony Robbins for two weeks and walk on hot coals and then come back renewed and refreshed. We have to find ways to change the tires on the car while still going 100 on the highway. And, and yeah. that's tough. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you, do you see, is, is from what you've, you've described there, sort of the three pace clients and problems um does this tend to be more to do with then people working in service industries or organizations who are client facing i mean or are there other categories and gradations that you might apply if you were working with people who are working in a more uh, i don't know industrial or manufacturing type of environment so, you know, those were three of, of the eight. And there are eight. Those yeah. are, 
and those are not, you know, I pick those ones because I tend to like those ones. They probably yeah, apply to they're me. Yeah, they're not intuitive, so there are others. Yeah, okay. But, like, if, you know, you take that client piece and you go to a manufacturing role, I would, I would think, and I'm stereotyping, but generally speaking, most of the individuals that are working on that line um, don't really want client interaction. Mm. And so... motivator. Whereas one of the other pieces we have industry, you know, maybe they get to work in automotive and they just absolutely love the fact that they get to work on an automobile. And that to them is just, it's worth everything. And Mm -hmm. so we have some of those different factors and then personality who you get to be at work um, that listen, I mean, there's a, there's a thousand ways that we can try to figure out how to perform better. Um, mm. Just trying to find ways to measure what's 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 happening in human nature, and how can mm. we take who we are and how we are, and mm. just make some subtle shifts, some subtle adjustments. Right. So, so when people when people get burnt out, uh, I mean, I'm imagining if you had stayed in the accountancy firm where you were, and you were just on that treadmill and you were um you know living the dream code for <laughs> you know it being pretty pretty rubbish um is that what causes people to burn out when they sort of are bucking against the flow of what really is what would suit them and what plays to their desires and strengths or is it more complex than that you know i i think anytime you're doing something that you know, I hate that there's a saying of find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And yeah. I think, I think it's so far from, it's actually the opposite because when you, when you have some love or some passion for the work that you do, by nature, you become engaged and you become highly engaged in that work. And so, I mean, yes, if I stayed, but I, I think burnt, I'd be, <laughs> I don't want to say dead, but you know, I'd be, I'd be a, the, the crispiest piece of toast ever um, yeah. had I stayed. But we see so many good people who are highly engaged. And, you know, I, I love the big push over engagement. I mean, I used to, the company that I used to be called Millennial and Employee Engagement, and now we switched to you know, Human Engagement Institute. So I believe engagement is at the core of success for, for an individual and for a company. Um, and so I love all of this push and research around employee engagement. But what we've started to see is that very good people who are highly engaged are becoming some of the most susceptible to burning out. And that's right. because when you're highly engaged, when you're highly committed, and I think you know one of the most basic definitions is an emotional commitment and emotional connection to the outcome of your work. Yeah. And so this pulls people to give so much. And so for years, and even in five days to your best work yet, um, you know, we're so focused on engagement. Well, over the last 12 months, we've started to realize that there is an energy side. So we have this compass, we have this model, and we, it was fully structured around engagement. And we realized we are trying to help people get engaged without getting an energetic return. Let me, let me just try and give context uh, let's say I'm like, I need to go to the gym and I need to lose a couple stones, whatever it is. Um, 
That's what it is over there, right? Stones? Uh, well, yeah. No, not now. Kilos, yeah. really. Kilos. Um, yeah, we're, okay. all, we're all metric, but yeah. Me and, me and Wayne Rooney had a few extra fish and chips, and we both picked up <laughs> a couple kilos. All right. <laughs> um, and so you go to the gym, and you want to lose this weight. You want to drop a couple kilos. And after three weeks of going to the gym consistently, you are highly engaged in the process. You look in the mirror, and mm. you see no change. You are not getting a return. It doesn't matter how engaged you were in the process. If you mm-hmm. look in the mirror and you do not get the return that you desired, you all the you, eventually you give up or you stop trying or your engagement starts to shift or you or you're like I'm gonna. Okay. And so we realize we have to find energetic returns. Okay. Um, so summarize that for me in ninety seconds, then Josh. <laughs> we're gonna we're out of time almost. I love it. So. Typically, it's money. And from the, the very first time that we've ever had our first job, money is what we look towards. Um, a few years ago, some research came out that showed uh, you know, around $70,000 U.S. So that's what, maybe 50,000 pounds or so. Um, happiness and income start to separate. So up to 70,000, happiness and income are directly correlated. After that, mm-hmm. an I'm okay threshold. So mm-hmm. as our careers build and grow we, and we cross past that threshold potentially or whatever that is for us, now we're not getting that energetic return of money. It doesn't mean as much as it used to. And right. so we have now these other factors like mission, um, accolades, and vision. You need to catch a fresh vision for your life or for a nonprofit or for the company or for who you can become. And all of a sudden, you know, that becomes those energetic returns that balance back. So thank you so much. Okay. That makes utter sense. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Josh Schneider from the Human Engagement Institute for sharing your thoughts with us. Um, and, uh, And goodbye. Thank you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.